If plants eat sunshine, does that make them reverse vampires? If Bigfoot has fur, could we use him to make the most paranormal sweater of all time? Answers to these questions and more on this episode of This Paranormal Life! Hello everyone and welcome to This Paranormal Life. The highlight of the week, the comedy paranormal podcast where every week myself and my co-investigator Kit Greer Malvena sit down and we corner a paranormal beast. We, we've been tracking it for months. We've got it in the corners. Just when it thinks it's going to be able to escape through our legs, we grab it by the throat and wrestle it into submission and figure out once and for all whether or not it is true or it is false. I would agree. I did have to use the toilet and I might have opened the front door to the studio. It might have got out. It got out? Shit. We've been tracking that thing for months as well, <laughs> like you said. Yeah, Scooby-Doo would have been a very different cartoon if I was part of the Scooby squad. Because I wouldn't you wait... Mean or... the, you mean the mystery gang? The mystery gang, whatever the <laughs> f*** they're called. Because I wouldn't wait to pull the mask off and see what billionaire was underneath it. It would be like, okay, kids, you got me. The truth is that I'm... And I just grab him by the throat. Yeah, start strangling. Start strangling. Who do you work for? <laughs> Who do, is, Rory, he was trying to tell us. He was coming clean already. Yeah. <laughs> You're just gnawing his leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's bad when Scooby's trying to stop you. <laughs> when the dog is trying to stop Rory, you from biting. Rory! <laughs> Rory is ironically the one word he can say perfectly. <laughs> uh, Kit, welcome to the podcast. It's Thanks. an honor to be with you here once again, uh, diving into the world of the paranormal. Um, how are you feeling this week? Do you feel mentally sharp enough to tackle one of our biggest ever cases? I really do, you know. Um, the last week or so has been a classic. Kit's off on holiday and Rory's holding the fort. So I'm feeling refreshed. I'm feeling um, moisturized, unbothered and thriving. I don't know if I can say the same for you, Rory. Yeah, you mentioned that the situation was kind of like that meme where the soldier is standing over someone and he has like a thousand arrows in his back. Yeah, and, and he's a sleeping child. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's protecting. He's silently asleep in bed. I've taken a lot of damage. I've taken a lot of damage over the week. But the good thing is, you know, being a paranormal investigator is a lot like being a super saiyan. When you are on the brink of death and insanity, that's when your pupils roll back into your head and you open your third eye. Yeah. Because <laughs> when your other two eyes get so tired, they don't work anymore. You have to see via something. Right. you got to use your third eye to locate uh, food and water and things you need to survive. But your third eye can only see spirits and demons. <laughs> so it's a little tough, but we're powering through. We're powering through. And as I said, Kit, today's case is a huge one. And we are going to get right into it just after... A few quick words from today's sponsors. And a reminder that you can get every episode of this show ad-free on patreon.com forward slash thisparanormallife. Kit, today our story is an incredible one. It is equal parts paranormal mystery and spiritual anomaly. Mm. So hold on to your Pazuzu, because we are about to go on a journey through time and investigate a mystery known as... The Third Man Syndrome. Rory, I can't wait. The last spiritual anomaly I had was when I was trying to have an awakening at Burning Man and someone shit outside my tent. So I'm here for a new one. Yeah, that put a bit of a downer, uh, I think, on the vibe. But today we're keeping it classy. We're keeping it cool as we dive into the past. Hey, keeping it cool. 
I don't know if you know, Roy, but Cool's my middle name. So it should be pretty well. It's not technically James is actually my middle name, if anyone was wondering. Don't use that to take my. <laughs> don't tell them your middle because, name. Yeah, but I am cool, though. I'm unbothered. Well, then you'd be I cool. I shouldn't have told them the middle name <laughs> thing, man. That's kind of fucking me up, actually. I think we could delete that because I'm kind of worried that my bank details are going to be at risk. Right now is an example of name. you not being cool. I'm cool. I'm cool as a cucumber. Look at me. I got an ice drink. And oh, fuck, I got some on my shorts. Yeah, you spilt oh, it all God. over your white jeans. We've got to stop podcasting, man. We've got to stop. This isn't things... cool. This is sorry, clumsy sorry. and awkward. Oh, yeah. Cool as a kid. That's going to stain as well. It but really it doesn't matter, though, because you're cool. Right, 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 it doesn't. And like cool a cool head. guy, cool guys don't care. Cool guys it's don't care. really true. It shouldn't bother It them. doesn't matter what they look like, because the cool just, but I just think people are going to see it on camera, and they're going to think I'm an idiot. They won't. It's below the waist. We only shoot from the waist up, All so right. you're fine. I'm going to stop talking. Because you're that cool. Cool guys don't talk that, that much. They're men of few words. They are, yeah. I've heard cool guys actually listen really well <laughs> oh, yeah. to what other people are saying, you know? Okay, so I can give that a cool. try. I can give that a try. Who is the third who walks always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look up ahead at the white road, there is another walking beside you, gliding, wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded. I do not know whether a man or a woman but who is that on the other side of you? The Wasteland, a poem by T.S. Eliot that speaks about a mysterious phantom following two men, like a guardian angel or like a circling vulture. Mm. Now this poem was inspired, Kit, by true events, a real instance of something known as third man syndrome. In order to fully understand, we're gonna have to go back to the early 1900s. Ernest Shackleton was an Arctic explorer who was born in Southern Ireland but was raised in London, much like Kit. <laughs> Ernest Shackleton had joined the Merchant Navy when he was as young as 16 and spent his whole life obsessing over exploration and adventure. This is a cool guy. The 1900s were still a time where your occupation could be adventurer, mm. explorer, warrior, yes. you know, just something cool and ambiguous like that. They were the rock stars of the day, to they, be honest. They really were, uh, yeah. Rory, you don't need to tell me twice. You're telling me we've got a badass, jacked, ripped, tanned, I think you said all these things, uh, mm. adventurer, and he's Irish? I'm on board. He is. By 1907, he was already leading Arctic explorations exploring the South Pole, and he ended up being rewarded with a knighthood in the process. But as we know, Kit, people like this are always chasing the next big adrenaline rush. Uh, if you live a life like this, you can't come back from an Arctic exploration into the blizzardy wilderness and turn on your Xbox and order Deliveroo. You need to now go to the moon. You need okay. to now just start, I don't know, eating fireworks, seeing how long you can live. Right. So you're saying that once you're addicted a bit like Hurt Locker, once you're addicted to the adrenaline of the chase of the mission, uh, it's hashtag next mission. What is the next mission? Exactly. You know, like when I went snowboarding for the first time, I was like, that was really fun. Next time I should go snowboarding 
somewhere a little riskier, somewhere a little more dangerous. I don't know if that's true because you did notoriously break your ass. Well, I didn't want to talk about that on the podcast because that was a serious injury. Well, you and did. much like Shackleton, <laughs> I should have got a knighthood for surviving that ordeal. A you shattered Pazuzu? <laughs> I deserve an award for that. <laughs> you say you didn't want, you don't want to talk about it on the show. That's okay, because you did. You did at length talk about it on the on podcast. On the after party, I think it was. Okay. In 1914, chasing after that adrenaline rush, Shackleton decided to attempt what he called, quote, the last great Arctic challenge. A voyage to cross the Antarctic from one side to the other, from the Weddell Sea to the Ross Sea. Now, I'm not a geographer, but in layman's terms, this was like launching an expedition into shoving a fork into the toaster. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're most likely going to die. It is a suicide mission. But that's part of the thrill. It's an impossible feat that no man had done before. He managed to assemble a loyal crew and set sail in August 1914. I guess he was pretty confident that things were going to go well because the crew included an artist a photographer, a professional dog handler on board, and a cat listed under the name Mrs. Chippy. I'm assuming the dog handler was for, you know, Siberian Huskies and not his pet Chihuahua. I have no idea. But all I know is I don't think Mrs. Chippy was a work cat. It is a bit unusual because uh, Mrs. Chippy was presumably eating the rations, of which there's not many. <laughs> That's their mistake for selecting their rations to be... 200 boxes of smoked salmon. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, the ride was always going to be a bumpy one. They knew that. But in January 1915, things went from a shitstorm to a snowstorm. Captain, we're barely pushing through the ice sheets. We've got to turn back. If we stop now, we'll be stuck. We can't slow down. Hold your post. But it was no use. The temperatures had dropped so fast that the boat was barely even in water anymore. It was just pushing its way through huge ice sheets that were sealing around the boat as fast as they were broken. The boat slowed down until... They were dead, stuck in the water. If I was one of the crew members at this point, I would be livid. I would be absolutely furious. I would be going up to Shackleton and being like, Well, there you go, bud. What the f*** do you think was going to happen? You steered us into ice, motherfucker. I hope that cat's gonna keep you warm, because in three days, we're eating them. <laughs> There's no food and in left. in four days, I'm eating you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would be furious. You know, I've made mistakes on the job before, and it can be a bit embarrassing, you know, in one of my office jobs in the past. You know, I might have sent an email to a colleague, you know, and I damn near CC'd the wrong manager. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they caught a conversation uh, that I didn't want them to see. You know, that's an awkward little lunch break in the office. I'm keeping quiet, keep my head down. Yeah. I'm eating my Sainsbury's meal deal in damn near silence. You send an email and you say, I've attached the file. You hit send. Oh, I didn't uh, attach the file. Oh, you got to apologize. Say, Sorry, here, here's the file. Oh, it's so awkward. That's a bad day of work. But my colleague saying, we have to turn back or else we'll be frozen and we'll die in this icy tomb thousands of miles from our loved ones. And then I don't turn back and get us frozen there. It's more than just an awkward lunch break. Yeah. It's actually an awkward uh, nine months until uh, <laughs> until summer. And then the heat of the sun might just be enough to thaw the ice enough for the boat to become unstuck. Yeah, it's going to be an awkward conversation below deck with the men. Yeah. <laughs> 
that that all hands in the evening where it's like, I just want to clear the air, guys, because I feel like there's some kind of resentment, undeserved, towards the captain here. And I want to remind you that while we are on land, we're still technically on the boat, which means I'm still technically the captain. <laughs> yeah. There's someone already just coming up behind him with, with a rope. <laughs> I think it's really respectful that you guys are taking this so well, and I appreciate you guys standing by me. <laughs> <laughs> Grab him. <laughs> yeah, he, call, he calls an all hands, complete silence in the room. Mistakes. <laughs> we all make them. We all make them. You know when Jimmy, when Jimmy cooked, cooked lunch yesterday, and he put, he put sugar in the stew instead of salt, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't say anything because I know we all make mistakes. This is him rope tied to a cannonball <laughs> in front of everyone. It's like, you know, I actually think it would be really big of you guys to change your mind. I think that would show growth and uh, maturity. <laughs> the cat just walks over and shoves him off. <laughs> Mrs. Chippy, no! <laughs> um, yeah, this is a problem. But that was something I did not realize is that back in the day... At this time, journeying in a boat through the Arctic was much closer to uh, going to space than it was going on a sea voyage. Yeah. They were building their ships, basically not knowing if it, if the journey was going to take weeks or years. Yeah. They, they If they got stuck in the ice, they didn't know how long they would have to be there. So they had to literally pack rations uh, in case they were stuck in the ice for years. Because if you get stuck, you have to wait until summer. Yeah, you have to wait maybe nine months for it to thaw. For it to potentially thaw, of which it may not ever thaw. So this is an unbelievably serious situation they find themselves in. Yeah, well, the coolest thing about it is, as I said, whether it was a smart idea or not, they did bring a photographer along with them. And even though this was a really long time ago, early 1900s, we do have, as you can see here, some incredible pictures of the ship actually stuck in the ice. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah, it's not good. They're folks. in a bad situation. This is this is also like you're you might be picturing, you know, an icebreaker, some big ship designed to break through the kind of thick ice. This is a fing pirate ship. It's a pirate <laughs> ship with all the ropes and the plank to walk, and it is very far from home. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like stuck in just like a frozen lake. It is surrounded by icebergs. Mount, ice mountains. A hundred feet high. <laughs> if the Titanic, this huge, massive tourist ship, hit a little iceberg and went down, imagine if a f***ing rowboat hit Mount Everest. <laughs> the men were essentially shipwrecked in the middle of nowhere, with no way to reach civilization. The men were stuck by the boat for nine months. Whoa, we called it. After that, the ice compacted so much that the ship was crushed and it sank into the icy water below. (gasps) There's something so sad about being stuck for nine months and just when things seem perilous, Shackleton, you know, gets up on a crate and he's like, come on, guys, we don't want to give up. Look, summer's just around the corner. The ice is going to thaw and we're going to sail this puppy right back to the mainland. (laughs) <laughs> the big boat <laughs> rotates 90 degrees and goes straight down. Things started to look so desperate that Shackleton knew that they couldn't hold out and wait for help. So Shackleton and a few others trekked off into the blizzard to try and reach what they believed was the nearest inhabited island, 800 miles away. 
Holy shit. This journey lasted over 15 days of walking. By the final stretch, only two men continued with Shackleton. Captain Frank Worsley and second officer Tom Crean. Finally, Shackleton and his team made it back to civilization and were able to order a rescue mission to save the survivors waiting back where the ship had crashed. When the dust had settled, everyone was desperate to hear Shackleton tell the story of his incredible adventure. We were trapped in the ice for nine months, and it wasn't melting, so I knew we had no choice but to go try and find help. I don't believe it. It must have been treacherous. It was. The search for help felt like it lasted an eternity. It's a miracle all four of us survived. You mean three, right, Captain? The captain's mood changed. Yes, of course. Just the three of us. Shackleton basically downed his pint at this point and said, <laughs> I must go home. I'm feeling slightly tired. Uh, I may have taken some creative liberties of how that scene played out. Sure. But the truth of it remains, Kit. After the events of the Endurance, all three men from the rescue party would say the same thing. There were four of us. <laughs> what? Shackleton himself wrote, During that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. When grilled on the topic, Shackleton told a journalist, None of us care to speak about that. There are some things which can never be spoken of. It seems like all of these guys are saying that there was a fourth person, or they kind of remember a fourth person. But when they're grilled about it, no one wants to talk about the fourth person. Uh, yeah, it is. Also, when you reintroduce to society like this, I'm, I'm not saying this is what happened, but we're all wondering who killed who. Someone killed <laughs> right, somebody yeah. on the ice. We didn't spend nine months on the ice and no one killed nobody. So... You know, if, if they start talking about a fourth guy yeah, and only yeah. three guys came home, I'm starting to wonder if the if, if old Shackleton smashed someone's head in with a pipe one night. Yeah, yeah. It's like he has a few pints one night and he's like, yeah, you know, to be honest, it's a miracle that me, the two captains, and our guide, Jerry, made it home safely. They're like, who's... Who's, did you say Jerry? He's like, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Jer oh uh, Jerry's what I call my, my pocket map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was our guide. <laughs> Old, reliable Jerry. If it wasn't for delicious, delicious Jerry, <laughs> we wouldn't have made it home. <laughs> Captain Worsley, one of the other men, wrote about it too, saying that anytime the men would think about the journey that they took, they would always think of a fourth and then have to correct themselves. Kit, have you ever heard of third man syndrome? I've personally suffered from third wheel syndrome, where <laughs> where I'm where I'm going through a chronic dry spell and I refuse to stop crashing my roommate's first dates. Um, apparently, that's a disease of which I'm incurable, uh, but not third man syndrome. Mountain explorers, shipwreck survivors, many people stuck in seemingly hopeless situations have all claimed to have either heard a voice or seen a physical person providing some form of comfort or helpful information. Weird. Really weird, isn't it? I mean, I'm a little bit skeptical of third man syndrome being real, because uh, in my last marriage, which I describe as an expedition into the frozen Arctic, 
Uh, my ex's heart. <laughs> no one came to save me from that journey, you know? That was we, me waiting around in an icy environment for nine months. But this is a real thing that people say they have experienced during traumatic events. Kit, you will not believe how common the phenomenon of the third man is. Soldiers in the trenches of World War II often described a ghostly presence that repeatedly guided soldiers to safety. They called it an angel, but many times it would take on a human form. It's a pretty reaffirming thing to happen if during a war, the person helping you is the angels. Right. Because You're going to think you're right, that's for sure. If you're getting like fired at and you think you're about to die and you just hear from the other side of the trenches, over here, brother, and you look over and it's a little demon yeah. and he's wearing the same uniform you are. Maybe reevaluate which side you're fighting for. I mean, even if it's <laughs> on the fence, even if it's Heath Ledger's Joker, right? Cackling, helping you, helping you survive the trenches. You're gonna be like, mm, I don't feel great about it. Yeah. So, uh, saying that they resemble an angel or they give off a positive aura—that's a good sign. This is genuinely quite astonishing. I don't think I'd heard of it before, and now I'm starting to think. I mean, think of all those religious images you know that like old people have in their houses of like you know yeah someone in a time of need and jesus appears next to them and is like offering a helping hand i always thought that shit was metaphor yeah like oh yeah in your time of need whatever you pray and i guess he might like in some indirect religious way give you the grace to survive your situation i didn't think he literally appeared (laughs) and lifted you up yeah, yeah. We're about. It feels like we're about to get into a situation where someone was getting beat up in a car park, <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus showed up and roundhoused the guy in the jaw. <laughs> That's how physical and literal this is. It's not like, oh, in my time of need, right? Uh, he he carried me. Jesus gave him a piggyback. Jesus had one of those knapsacks that they put babies in and lifted someone off of Mount Everest. (laughs) Jesus took the form of an Apache helicopter and took the soldiers out of Saigon. (laughs) Moses appeared and put my mugger in a reverse armbar. Even canonically, when he lived in in history, he wouldn't know Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's crazy. But the stories we're talking about are real instances. These aren't metaphors. These are people saying they saw physical things, physical creatures helping them. Good to clear that up. Another great example. British explorer Frank Smythe almost became the first person to climb Mount Everest in 1933. His party turned back halfway up the mountain, but he carried on alone and made it to within 1,000 feet of the top. (laughs) Which sounds like it's still far away, but I think in the context of... Mount Everest is very close. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure those last thousand feet are as hard as the first half of the mountain. (laughs) Sure. But that's still close. I mean, 1933, my God. He probably, nowadays, they take up cans of oxygen just to breathe. Yeah, back then you just had cocaine, liquid cocaine (laughs) powering you. And a backpack full of balloons. (laughs) And when you got lightheaded, you'd go, (gasps) and get another breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yeah, your hiking party was compiled mostly of party clowns with different balloon animals that would help you on your journey when the altitude got high. (laughs) I have a thousand feet to go and only three giraffes and an elephant to help. (laughs) 
Is it worth making it to the top if I have to deflate my balloon crown to get there? <laughs> I won't feel like a king. He eventually came back down and survived. And when he made it back to base camp, he said he would have died up there if it wasn't for the help of another man. Get. I don't know a lot about Mount Everest, but I don't think there's that many dudes just chilling up there helping strangers. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are Nepalese Sherpas who are, uh, they help people traditionally getting up and down the mountain, but um, I don't think they're just sitting around chilling uh, at a thousand feet from the summit yeah. waiting for people. It's more of a, you hire them at base camp and they come up with you situation. So this does indicate that whoever helped him that day did appear out of nowhere. I mean, to give you an indication of who this person was, at one point, Frank says that on a snack stop, he opened up a slab of Kendall mint cake and turned to offer a piece to his companion, only to realize there was no one there. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's a little insight to who it was. It was Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just picturing an 1800s explorer sitting next to Yugi from Yu-Gi-Oh!, I mean, that's kind of a nice thing to happen to you because you're like, oh shit, I don't have to split anything. I get all the cake. Maybe I will be able to survive. I, I do like this a lot. You know, I'm starting to think that I might have never experienced this because I've never pushed myself to the kind of limits of survival. Yeah. You know, me and you have gone surfing and, you know, and got f***ing destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and got destroyed by some head height waves, you know, been held under the water um, and, and felt utterly helpless. The only difference is we're in the ocean only so deep that we can still stand. So I don't think sure. I don't think the kind of situations I put myself in even like that. I, I think the third men are just like, we don't need to help this pussy. There's way more. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's people out there who really need our help. Uh, <laughs> this guy is choking on a corn on the cob. He'll be all right. Right. Uh, when we're in trouble. The angels come down, they're like, I know I should help, but a lot of the guys upstairs actually want him to die. Right? These guys are so annoying and they're always getting themselves in these situations. They use up so much angel power every week just to keep them alive. Three dudes have died today because I'm saving Kit and Rory once again. Right, we, we, we're like whenever those selfish people would like go paddle boarding 16 miles off the coast of Brighton uh, and need saved by the, the coast guard. Yeah. And they're like, this is really selfish, guys. We're putting everyone's lives at risk. And we're like, yeah, but we need help. Yeah. Um, but it's very heartening, like you say, to know that you know, if I drove a motocross bike off a cliff edge that kind of like in Mario Kart, a little guy on a cloud and a fishing <laughs> rod would just pick me up again. I, 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 that's not a hypothesis I think we should test or I don't want to say that message to anyone. we should go out on the BMX bikes right after this and, <laughs> and take a long trip off a short pier. I mean, we mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but where was the third man when I fell and shattered my ass <laughs> snowboarding up a mountain? I wish someone gave me a piggyback back to civilization. What do you think the closest uh, you've come to perishing is? That was pretty far. If my, if my brother or family hadn't been with me, I would have had to scoot down that entire mountain on a shattered Pazuzu, helplessly searching civilization, stopping every now and again to share my monster energy drink with a man that doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> That would have been it for sure. I, I mean, do you have an instance that you think a third man should have stepped in? 
you know, I'm starting to think that, uh, yeah, skiing and snowboarding might be the problem because I seem to remember whenever I was a kid and I went uh, skiing with my family, uh, we got caught in a blizzard. That was pretty scary. Yeah. But we managed to just about get out of that. But if I had been on my own, even not as a kid, that could have been a bit sketchy. Well, that's very Shackleton-esque, getting stuck in a blizzard, there being, you know, you and your family walking, following a figure in the distance. And then when you get to civilization, you're like, wait, we're all here. Who the f*** was that that was yeah. leading us that whole time? I mean, this this is what happens. Sometimes it's a person being very personal and physical. Sometimes it's a voice telling people to keep going. Sometimes it's just a helping hand or a figure in the distance. Another great story from history involves Joshua Slocum, who was the first solo sailor to circumnavigate the world. Wow. In the late 1800s, long before Shackleton's polar expedition, Joshua had fallen extremely ill during a huge storm that was battering his ship. He was so incapacitated, he couldn't even stand to steer the vessel. But when he looked out to the stern of the boat, he saw a figure at the helm steering the ship to safety. What the hell? Thanks to the help from this stranger, Joshua emerged safe and once again alone on his boat. Okay, hot take theory, dropping it in here. Let's go. Dropping it like it's hot. Um, we've talked on recent episodes about out-of-body experiences. Right. At a, at a point, near-death, specifically near-death experiences, uh, people report floating outside their bodies, being able to see doctors operating on themselves. Yeah. Uh, even being able to physically see things in the room that they maybe shouldn't have been able to see. Um, is that potentially what's happening here or something similar where at the point close to death, they almost are able to uh, step outside of their own bodies. And is that crazy to say that the, th that the third man, this helping apparition is almost, they're watching themselves. Yeah. I, I, I only say that because in this case, he's saying someone was steering the ship. So someone was f***ing steering the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, If yeah. it wasn't him, it was a ghost. So is it possible it was him? Yeah, especially on a solo expedition yes. around the earth. There is not another man. Yeah. In a million years, there is no one near you at all, unless a dolphin jumped on board and was like, be not afraid, yeah. and decided to steer this thing. <laughs> well, look, that is a great hypothesis, and it actually is one of the kind of logical conclusions that people have to explain this phenomenon. One of the theories is, could we as humans be capable of creating mental projections as coping mechanisms to focus on survival in a near-death experience. You, you know, know? I, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not saying I want that to be true because yeah. I, I, I tend to dislike these kind of gray area explanations of like, uh, well, it's more likely this is a mental projection. It's like, all right, motherfucker, when have you ever mentally projected yourself into being in the room <laughs> yeah. and, and seeing yourself, you know, walking across? Like, as he if, ate half my Kit Kat. <laughs> How did he do that if he was a dream? As, as if that's... <laughs> As if that is something that happens every day. As yeah, if we're going to yeah. be like, oh yeah, I guess that, I guess that makes tons of sense yeah. that you would just astrally project yourself to steering the ship. Um, I don't know whether that actually is that helpful, but it's just an interesting comparison with another paranormal phenomenon. Yeah, you know, the the understanding being maybe you're in a situation so stressful or traumatic, you essentially shut down, mm -hmm. and the survival part of your brain just starts operating. Yeah. So then when you kind of come to and it's all over with, 
the decisions that were being made and the voices that you heard were almost not yourself. Yes. Um, that is one of the theories is that essentially in traumatic experiences like this, your brain resorts to some kind of primal form where it's essentially split in two with one half saying what to do and the other half listening to the orders. Right. Giving the feeling afterwards like there were two people working together. You know, which is so fascinating. And it dovetails with, you know, lots of other experiences. You know, we've talked in the show before about, I think it was in the out-of-body one, we even talked about, let's say, psychedelic experiences. People, you know, take ayahuasca and they yeah. uh, they have these conversations with God or conversations with Mother Earth. And they're really being told things that, you know, they've never thought before. Ideas that they pretty much couldn't have come up with on their own, which which yeah. really feels like someone is telling you it. But the leading scientific explanation is that it's just your own brain. You're communicating with yourself somehow. Or even in a much more mundane sense, um, Rory, you're a songwriter. We're musicians. We know that songwriters routinely say that they can't even take credit for the songs that they write because they just go, hey, all I do is I just relax and I and I pick up the guitar and sit down with a pen and the way to write a great song is let the music like flow through you and I don't know where the where the melodies come from. I don't know where the words come from, but they come through me. Yeah, I mean, a prime example, you know, as you said, people who have taken psychedelics and had an idea or a theory pop into their head that wasn't their own, do you remember the time that I smoked all that weed? And then when I came to, I'd drawn a picture of a hat that could keep sandwiches cold. <laughs> right. That, it, that's an idea from another fucking planet. That's an idea that no human could mentally conceive. The thought of a sandwich being kept cold by a hat is so fucking fucked up. It's so wild and unhinged that it, it must have been beamed into me. The f***ed up thing is, like, you you must have just watched Paddington, because Paddington Bear is the only person in history, in media, who who famously keeps a sandwich in his hat. I haven't seen any of the movies, he... So it's impossible that I would have seen the movie and come up with it. it's impossible. F***, you're saying, f***, sorry, I didn't mean to yell, but I just thought that was a... I thought that was my own idea that well, I had come up with. you know, with. I don't think his marmalade sandwich is kept cold up there. Yeah. You know, so that, that, is a, that is a new twist on the idea. You know, I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast before, but I, I've never seen either of the Paddington movies. Oh, off. So this is probably why I'm saying this, but I hate that little bear. What? Why? I want to beat the shit out of him. Why? He annoys me so much. You haven't seen the movie. How would you know? His little face. His stupid he's, little he's face. He's a bear. I, oh, he just drives me nuts. You know, he is a little bit of a posh prick, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he is pretty lovable when you watch the movies. You know what bear I respect? Cocaine bear. <laughs> That's a bear on the edge, living life, doing what he wants. I don't want a little Tory bear to come <laughs> lecture me about friendship and sandwiches, all right? The hat was my idea, you little f***er. All right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm so furious. You know, Rory, you are a film lover and you probably know that Paddington 1 and 2 at one point were the highest rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes in history. It's true. I don't know what happens to people who watch that movie. They come out a different person. I've seen yeah. the most cynical people watch those movies and come out and be like, 
oh no, we should all just be friends. They're like hypnotized. It's, it's kind of unbelievable, yeah. It's wild. But then I'll see like, because I haven't seen the movies, then I'll see like all the royal family propaganda where Paddington is like <laughs> with King Charles and I'm just like, you little fucker, you little piece of shit. Hey, he's a Tory, that's for sure. Oh God. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, what are we talking about? I'm so angry, man. Now it's really going to be hard to come down off this. I really didn't know about this side of you, but I think we should can it for the rest of the show. Well, here we go. We've talked a little bit about the scientific explanation. Let's wind it back to what this podcast is all about. The paranormal. Shit hot psychotic ideas like (laughs) cocaine bear. This phenomenon goes deep. It goes deep in every direction. Up, down, northwest, back, future, present, now. We're about to find out just how deep it goes, right after a few words from today's sponsors. Hmm. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Kit, when we bottle up our emotions, it can start to affect us negatively. Sometimes it's important that we get stuff off our chest. Tell me about it. I found a UFO in the forest and now this thing is attached to my chest. Jesus, that's an alien. Mm -hmm. All right, I was speaking metaphorically about dealing with emotions and talking about our feelings by using services like BetterHelp. I don't need to talk about my feelings. This thing can read my mind. Therapy can be a great way to set boundaries and become the best version of yourself. With BetterHelp, you can get matched with a licensed therapist that suits your needs. It's online, convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. We're saying they can get things off my chest, like uh, Zonktar here? Don't give it a name. Maybe me and Zonktar can sign up for BetterHelp together. Give it a shot, and whatever it is, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Paranormal Life today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Paranormal Life. Is this motherfucker an angel? Is this thing some sort of spiritual creature that steps in to save people's lives when they're in danger? It's a guardian angel. It's a ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It is a... Jumanji. It is a spirit from one of the Tibetan bardos. It is a Patronus. These are all explanations of a similar thing, a guardian spirit. Yeah, depending on what your beliefs are, it's been written about a ton in every religion, in every culture. Um, you know, the the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the Guardian Angel, the Protector, a being that steps in and helps people in situations when things seem dire or they're lost and seemingly will never be able to find their way through a storm or a blizzard. And the, the glowing light, the beacon, the North Star guides them. Um, it's a little more of an ambiguous explanation, but it could be that all of these cultures and religions are just trying to find a way to describe this thing, this phenomenon. And I know, Kit, that some boring old stories from the past aren't going to be enough to convince us today. So I rounded up some stories from the internet of individuals who also claim to have experienced the third man. 
Wow, so we're talking like Redditors. Almost every one of these stories happened in the last four months. Jesus. Yeah, this is how frequent this thing is. Our first story today comes from Bobbin for Bears, who said that his dad fell off a sea cliff in Alaska onto a bunch of boulders, shattering his leg and breaking his back in a handful of places. He lay there alone for hours, calling for help with no luck. Then, he said a little girl came down the cliff to keep him company. He said that she told him stories and sang to him, pet his head, even put her coat over him to keep him warm. But when someone eventually came around the bay and spotted him, there was no little girl. Wow. It, It was near a very small remote Alaskan town and no one in that small community had any idea of a little girl who even remotely matched his description. Wow, that's trippy as hell. Another story comes from user, probably Tom Hanks, who said, I'm not sure if this is the same thing or something completely different, but 11-year-old me was walking home from school one day and I was attacked by a pretty massive dog. I knew in a matter of seconds he was going to rip free and kill me. Like, I knew that. And then, out of nowhere, this man just appears. He grabs the dog off me and f***ing launches him unbelievably far into the woods nearby. He stands me up and mumbled something like, it's okay, and he drove off in seconds. All right, well, that one's tough because that might have been a real man. <laughs> I don't think that actually is the third man. <laughs> I like the way he started being like, huh, if this is the same thing, it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's yeah, a cool all, story. All these people are connecting being like, my father was in a car crash and he says he was helped out by a strange voice. Right. And it's like, yeah, I saw a guy throw a dog into the woods. He just picked it up and launched it like a missile. It's like, no, that's that's kind of f***ed up actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that might be a different thing. Probably Tom Hanks. And finally, Classic Parsley wrote and said, I remember my late grandfather telling me something like this. It was snowing one night and he lost control of his car. Got into a car crash, nothing too serious, aside from a broken collarbone and maybe a concussion. He swears that he saw a man in a pure white suit come and help him out of his car. He swears that at that moment he wouldn't have had the strength to do it on his own. But next thing he knows, he's out of the car, sitting down, and the man has disappeared. There were no footprints in the snow or anything. He always believed it was an angel, and as a child, I did too. But it's fascinating to hear so many stories like this. Kit, this is a whole Reddit dedicated just to talking about third man syndrome and people who have experienced events like this. They are overwhelming. So many of them share the same similarities. Car crashes, accidents, getting lost, where an individual appears out of nowhere and helps them, in some case throws an angry dog into the woods. Yeah, I do want to move past that example. I don't think it's helping our case. It really isn't. But it just shows you that this is something that isn't even a part of the history. It's happening now. It's happening months ago to individuals on the internet. So if we're thinking about this thing as a paranormal event, it's important to note that it's ongoing. I feel I feel really conflicted about this one. I really love it. I'm really compelled by it. You know, I'm in two minds. Uh, On the one hand, you know, the older I get, the more I think that the world is an extremely mysterious place. Not the world, but life itself. This f***ed up 
twisted veil of Maya that we find ourselves in, yeah. um, of which we think it consists of paying rent and buying Tesco's groceries, but it's really much more than that. It's some kind of Buddhist cycle of samsara where we're here to figure stuff out before we finally become enlightened and, and are released from the cycle of birth and death. Uh, the also I- that hat that I mentioned, <laughs> the one that keeps sandwiches cold. <laughs> Specifically marmalade sandwiches. <laughs> Weird shit like that. Like the world is so f***ed <laughs> up. It's, you can't even imagine. Everyone, yeah, what did you say? It's all about like paying rent and stuff and keeping no, and that. putting like sandwiches in a refrigerator and just wearing normal hats. It's, uh, it shouldn't be a problem for you. How long are you trying to keep this? There's coolers. Get a cooler. Coolers the hat is a cooler. You plug it in. It's got to ah. be heavy. It's got to be heavy. Well, I haven't probably worked out the blueprints yet in the schematics. The, the, I, and I'm having a little trouble finding people to wear the hat because the prototype borderline broke a dude's neck. It's a it mini was so heavy. <laughs> with a visor. <laughs> what, what I'm trying to say is that... The- I duct taped a mini fridge to a football helmet and said it was a hat. What I'm trying to say is that the older I get, the more open-minded I remain about the possibilities of this crazy thing we call life. At the same time, the other place that my brain goes is Mm -hmm. I would just kill, I would kill to have, you know, CCTV footage of one of these situations. You know, the, the moment where the guy passes out uh, at the thousand feet from the summit of Everest. I want to know what uh, if someone else is there? You know, it's like a, it's like yeah. a, it's like a, a fucking haiku. If you know, if there's no one around to help them and there's no cameras pointed at it, is that when the guardian angel steps in? Or if there was a camera pointed at at them, what would what would we see? Would we see the person floating back down to the surface, helped by a guardian angel, or would we see? you know, the Holy Spirit enter their body and give them the strength to move on. Is it more metaphorical? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a huge range as well. I mean, as you said, is it still paranormal if, let's say, a guardian angel enters someone's body and, and convinces yeah. them to escape a bad situation? On CCTV, it's going to look like the guy just gets up and saves himself. (laughs) That's not really evidence. He might say, you won't believe it and the feelings inside me and I saw this and that, but we're never going to have the evidence of that. I think where it's really interesting is actually our first case where the, the, the term originates from the third man because a lot of the other cases we talked about were individuals saying that they were guided by another person. But if you remember our first story with Shackleton, these were three mm, men that's a great point. who all individually claim seeing a fourth. Mm-hmm. That's weird. That's less of a logical explanation. You can't really say that it's a brain a manifesting. situation. Yeah. yeah. It tricks your brain, releases chemicals, blah, blah, blah. Unless they literally did kill someone, didn't tell anyone, and accidentally keep bringing up a fourth guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To- Toby just didn't make it. He just died right as they as they sailed off. It's it's a hard one. It's a it's a hard case, and it's a tough one as well because you don't coming down on a no. You know, you feel like you are being too critical and close minded. You know, who's to say that something like this can happen in the world? But then we also have to treat this case with the scrutiny that we treat every paranormal case, which is without tangible physical evidence that we can bring to definitively prove that this thing is paranormal, we're, we're kind of stuck here. Our hands are tied. 
Well, I do disagree on that, though. I think, I think yes, we do have problems sometimes with this traditional problem of physical evidence or not physical evidence. Yeah. You know, I think we obsess over physical evidence because very often we're dealing with cryptids. We're dealing with UFOs, things that should leave physical evidence. But I think we should remain open-minded about, uh, you know, the spirit world. You know, that's what makes ghosts and these kinds of strange experiences harder to define. You know, we covered this whenever, you know, I obsessed over the aerial school UFO phenomenon. You made the fantastic point, which is there's very limited to no physical evidence of that happening. Uh, but I started to posit by the end, along with some of the other witnesses and experts who weighed in on it, that, bro, we don't know what was going on here. And yeah. it, it, it might have been experienced. It might still have been paranormal. And at the same time, been happening telepathically or being experienced mentally and not in the physical realm. Uh, but right. if 50 kids all experience that simultaneously, <laughs> that still is paranormal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really tough one. Is it still, can you consider it to be evidence if it's within someone's mind? Exactly. I think the, the most kind of unfortunate thing for me is all of these situations by necessity have been uh, during very tragic events, very like stressful, traumatic, scarring experiences. And that is enough of a thing to make the human brain do really weird shit. It's like when you hear about uh, stories from people who have been stabbed and they're like, you want to know the crazy thing? You don't even feel it. You don't even know you've been stabbed until like 30 minutes later. There's so much adrenaline mm. coursing through your body. Maybe in survival moments like this, your brain does do weird things. You do hear voices and command. You go into like a, all right, it's not, it's not whether you want to stand up and walk anymore. You are going to do this. You lose control of some of the functions of your brain. There's a great book and documentary uh, called Touching the Void that tells the story of, I don't remember if they were climbing Everest, but climbing an icy mountain. And one of the explorers essentially falls into this crazy deep hole, obliterates himself, is left for dead, everyone thinks he's gone, and the journey is his exploration, finding his way back down the mountain completely by himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that story, he mentions as well seeing and hearing the voice of the third man guiding him home. Mm. He also mentions basically going insane, seeing things, visions, phantoms, having loot songs looping in his head for mm. hours and hours, just keeping his brain alive. So it's kind of like... Is this genuinely a spiritual phenomenon or is this like the human brain computer being hit with a sledgehammer and random files are opening and programs are playing and MP3 files are duplicating uh, as they're trying to survive? Is it just chaos? Rory, I am happy to take the lead. I've never pretended to be a completely independent adjudicator of the paranormal that I'm some kind of scientist coming in with a f***ing notebook and a f***ing thermometer sticking it up the ass of cryptids and figuring out what's going on. I, I think you do that with a thermometer. I'm human. And I've got my biases and my fallacies. And that's why on this case, I'm giving it a yes. Whoa! Because, like I mentioned before, I've not had the near-death experience you know, what I have done is done ayahuasca enough times to know what it feels like <laughs> to die and be talking to some kind of 
forest god. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I wish you'd stop talking. I wish you'd say double yes this week. And I wish you'd have stopped there because I really didn't need the forest and, god. And the forest god, he did say a lot about refrigerated marmalade sandwiches. It was kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, he had your face, actually, <laughs> the forest god. Uh, but a similar experience in the sense of science will tell me and I understand that that is supposed to be my brain talking to me. Uh, mm -hmm. But thousands of years of human experience, everyone who's done that and everyone who's experienced these third man syndrome, everyone believes the same thing, that something more is going on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if it was just the stories of individuals, that would be one thing. But it's the stories from multiple witnesses, all claiming to have seen and experienced something. You said it, Kit. We're only human. To deny the existence of this is to somewhat deny existence of the spiritual world and to turn your body off to uh, the possible existence of something like that being real. And I'm not ready to do that today either. I'm giving today's case a yes. Ha-ha! <laughs> hey! Fantastic. Oh. I did a, not a double yes. Oh, didn't see that, see that one coming. coming. No, no, no. I mean, it's quite funny. As you said, we always give a hard time to cases involving spirits and ghosts because they are not physical creatures. They're spiritual creatures. The one time we did give a ghost case, a double yes, was the electric lady, the white lady of Connecticut, who in the story, for a brief period of time, did become physical and was hit by a car. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that was enough, I think, to give it a yes. Maybe one of us said no, I don't remember. But it was a fantastic case, and hopefully today's was too. I th th oh, this one was a blast. I could have done just a whole case into Shackleton's endurance mission into the mm. Arctic. I mean, what a what a different world. What a crazy time to be alive. Fun fact: it was actually only just a few years ago. I'm literally talking in the last few years. They found his boat. Wow. They found the endurance underneath. Uh, the frozen waters and I think because of where it was frozen and the temperatures of the water they were like it's like it was frozen in time the ship was in immaculate condition you wow. could like go in see the living quarters and everything it was so weird and spooky but I mean so incredible and cool that it's it's taken this long but they've actually managed to find the boat yeah, I mean, the Titanic has been in uh, the press recently for lots of good reasons that we won't bother getting into. Um, but I didn't realize that it, it takes a long time for these wrecks to be found. I mean, I didn't realize it was only like 1985 or something or 1983 that they found the Titanic. Really? Because me and you have, we were only children at the time, uh, you know, or like we were born after that point. We didn't, We it's always been known where it was in our lifetime but uh but if you're older you will remember it being discovered that's crazy i can't even imagine what it would have been like to just turn on the news and like we found the titanic crazy and like a couple of miles down as well um I, I should say um i've mentioned it before on the show but like if you can go see uh in oslo in norway go to the fram museum i'm sure there's other Arctic exploration uh, museums around the world, but uh, I can personally attest to that one. And thanks again, John. Shout out, John, for showing us around. But man, it I didn't even go in giving a shit about this world. But if you go see these boats, and as you say, you walk around the living quarters, hear the stories of survival, 
you will come Ooh. away giving a shit. Yeah, it's really, really cool, really interesting. Definitely look into the expeditions of Shackleton if you found any of today's case interesting. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of This Paranormal Life. We had a blast. I hope you guys did too. And guess what? If you want to experience This Paranormal Life live, you can do it. Me and Rory are going on our own cursed <laughs> expedition and suicide mission. Yeah, except... We're hoping there's going to be a third man that turns up because if there isn't, it's just us up on stage. <laughs> hoping that actually a few thousand people are going to turn up. If you want to see This Paranormal Life live on stage, you can do it. We're going to be doing shows all across America and the UK in October. Full disclosure, we're recording this episode a little bit in advance, so we don't know exactly what the ticket sales and venues are like, but I think it's safe to assume... Pretty much everything is sold out. <laughs> well, we don't know that yet because they haven't even gone on. We're the, at the time of recording this, they haven't even gone on sale yet. So there might be like three left and they're oh, really bad I seats. I don't know. I wouldn't even buy them. They are bigger venues than we did last time. So we're probably, we're probably actually, because I don't want people to think that they can't get tickets. So we're probably actually need people to go check out those tickets. Uh, oh, and yeah, make okay. sure that we fill out the venue. So, and then, so let's assume nothing's sold out, but there is one way to find out. And that is to head to thisparanormallife.com slash tour. Yeah. We don't get to go on tour a lot. So if you do want to see the show live, seize the opportunity, head on over, find your nearest show, book some tickets. We can't wait to see you guys there. It's going to be an absolute blast. Of course, the reason we do it is to bring you guys um, a really fun and exciting live show and live investigation. Um, but it should be said, also just a great way to meet other fans of the show. And to be honest, sometimes that's people's favorite bit is just meeting hundreds and hundreds of other TPL fans who, in our experience, are the nicest people in the world and have a ton in common. It's really, really worth it. Uh, we love going on tour and it's going to be an absolute blast. So check out tickets uh, along with the show as well. Prior to the performance, there's going to be just a quick pitch about a potential business uh, proposal. Oh, um, I don't know about that. Many of you out there, I'm sure in this summer, heat have struggled with the temperature of your sandwiches. But I don't think know so. how impractical it would be to carry some sort of fridge or cooler to a park. I just buy my sandwich in the shop where a it's baseball cold game, in a fridge. A quinceanera, mm -hmm. a bar mitzvah. Locations where carrying your own personal fridge would be considered weird. Anywhere outside of the home is strange to have a personal fridge. But he here's an idea. What if your hat... You know what a cooler is, right? A cooler, a Yeti cooler? Yeah, you can't wear it on your head, you idiot. Who said anything about wearing shit on your head? How many times, Kit, have you been out on a sunny day and you're, you can barely eat your sandwich, it's so hot? Bologna, tuna, BLTs, you're trying to eat this sandwich. All but sandwiches that are delicious hot. <laughs> they're, 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 say cucumber sandwich. They're, they're, say fruit sandwich. These sandwiches are borderline boiling. You can barely <laughs> hold them in your hands. They're so hot. Has <laughs> your Philadelphia cheese steak ever been so hot it's inedible? No, that sounds delicious. Look, I don't want to tell you too much about the product. I'm sure you'll hear about it at the live shows, but... What can I say? It's a hat where you put a sandwich underneath it and put it on your head with an ice cube. It's a smeg fridge with a snapback <laughs> on it. Uh, you're going to hear all about it if you make it to the live show. So thank you. Go check out thisparanormallife.com forward slash tour. And of course, we have our incredible Patreon where we like to give amazing rewards and bonuses to the people that support us, including a little shout out to people on particular tiers. 
And that's what we're going to do right now. A few thank you shout outs. So a goddamn special thank you to Ty S. Ty S, inventor of a kind of a wacky tie that's shaped like an S. Ooh, fun. So it's kind of like, you know, ties are usually straight. Usually just straight down. But he's yeah. like, whoa, check out this tie. It's shaped like a, like a fucking slinky. It's that nuts. honestly sounds like a billion dollar corporation in the making. Right? I mean, if I could just move some of these fucking hats out of the warehouse, <laughs> this is a way better business idea. Thanks to Remy Bueller. Remy Bueller, it's time to throw away your cooler. Because you're going to have a little item of clothing that's going to keep everything you ever need I promise you, Remy, cold. hold on to the cooler. Don't be too hasty to throw it away. Bin it. Bin it right now. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care if it's one of those fridges with the ice dispenser on the front. If it was thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't have a fridge, so I don't know, because I have a hat. <laughs> it keeps my shit cold. So, Remy, just get in touch, bud. I got a product you're going to love. Thanks, lastly, today, to Susie Roca. Susie Roca, I am broca. I need you to pick up one of these hats ASAP because capital is low and no one's buying the products. So Susie, if you want to get a little boozy, this hat also keeps drinks cold. It doesn't have to be sandwiches. I should have mentioned that at the start. It's it's the shape of a sandwich. That's the the entire inside of the compartment. It's yeah, just but the shape of a sandwich. You could fill a you could fill a sandwich bag full of margarita, <laughs> zip it up and put it in the hat. This is a stretch. And you there might be a little that. bit that kind of leaks down the back of your neck and kind of makes you sticky, but most of it that stays in the bag will remain cold. I hate this. Susie, get in touch. I need to move some product. Thank you to Susie and thank you to everyone who supports us over on Patreon. We couldn't make this show without you. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast and hopefully we'll be seeing many, many, many of you very soon at This Paranormal Life Live. Live. We'll see you next week, everyone. Ciao, bella.